Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shadow of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 61, which along with Psalm 62 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, June the 7th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for being along today. We're, we're finishing up this week in Deuteronomy, uh, also in 2 Corinthians, and the Gospel according to Luke. <clears throat> so we, we're going to finish up here in the next couple of days with that, and then we're going to move on to another book that I'll tell a little bit more about later on. It's not in the canon of Scripture, actually, and I've mentioned these before, and this comes from the Apocrypha. And so it comes from the, the, the books that were written in the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that whenever we get to those books. But right now, <clears throat> we're at, at towards the end of Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 20. And remember yesterday, Moses had told the people that the main things that they had to do was obey his voice, obey the voice of the Lord, and keep his commandments, and love him with all your heart and all your soul. So here in Deuteronomy He's, he's saying, look, this isn't difficult. <laughs> this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you sh- would say, who go get it from us, ascend to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea so that you would say, who will go over the sea for it and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And it's even more true in our age, the age of after Pentecost, when the Spirit's been given to enable us to do these things. And yet we seem to still struggle with so many things. We, we struggle with all kinds of sin in the church. We, we see these uh, manifestations all the time. I can remember, what, 20 years ago-ish, um, when um, Celebrate Recovery kind of first came out. And I can remember that uh, there was a church locally where we were at the time, and I was speaking with the um, with the pastor of that church, a big church. And um, we had a guy who wanted to come in town and think about planting it, uh, not planting a church, but but starting a counseling business there. And he asked us the questions: What what are the two biggest problems that you see in your congregations? And one of the the other guy went first, and he said that that he saw it as um, pornography and and alcoholism, and uh, it, it was one of those things that was like, well, that's, yeah, that's going to be true. Yep, true. I, I would say the same thing. And so uh, later that pastor told me I'm starting a group um, for those people who are struggling with addictions to pornography. And, and he said, if you know anybody, then refer them. I said, oh, absolutely. And so I said, I told several people who had confessed that problem to me, and, and I told them about it. Well, we had a at our church, we had a men's Bible study on Friday morning, and a lot of people from that church also came over for that Bible study. And so um, the guy who led that one day in a staff meeting asked me, he said, John, do you have any idea what's going on? Um, all the guys from that church stopped coming over here, and I know that you're friends with the pastor. Do, can you see if, if we've done something or said something? That's a problem. So I happened to be driving to the hospital that Friday morning and passed that church and saw a huge number of cars outside early in the morning. And so when I got back, I called him and said, hey, did you start that 
study at the, the Celebrate Recovery thing for pornography? And, and he said, I did. I said, do you meet on Friday mornings? He said, we do. I said, okay, that's all I needed to know. And so I had to go back and tell the, the guy who led the Bible study, it, it's okay. Don't worry about it. That there, nobody's upset. There's a good reason for this, and I didn't share the reason for it. But, but I'm sharing it now to say that, that it's a struggle within the church. It's a huge struggle with, with a lot of men, uh, particularly. And, and it's getting worse, and it's going to get worse because the Internet has made it so easily available. And, and yet, how do we live from the Spirit? How do we deny the flesh and live from the Spirit? It takes work. It takes active cooperation with the Spirit of God that convicts you of the sin to then also live according to the conviction that we have. And so Moses goes on to say, See, I've set before you today life and death, life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving Him, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you'll live and multiply. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today, you'll surely perish. Sounds like Genesis 3 language, doesn't it? You'll surely die. You'll sh- you shall not live long in the land and that you're, <coughs> that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. And it's the same thing. It's a very simple commandment that he's giving them, and that is love the Lord your God and obey his voice. Do what he commands you to do and hold fast to him. And, and there's, there's nothing more to the Christian life than those things. Love God, obey his voice. So love God, love your neighbor in every single way possible that you can love your neighbor. So love the Lord your God and obey his voice. Those are the the simplest way of of sort of summing up what the Christian life should look like is do those two things and you'll be good. Can we love God? I mean, it's, it's an odd question in some ways um, I was thinking about this this morning, and how do we love God? Why do we love God? We love Him for who He is. We love Him for what He does. We love Him for what He has done. We love Him because of John three sixteen, that He so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. And so we love in response to Him. It's impossible to love most of the gods that other people worship. There's nothing lovable about them. They haven't done anything particularly lovable. And so we have a unique situation with Christianity and Judaism in that we can love God because of what he does for us and because he cares for us and because he created this wonderful place where we live. And, and it's an interesting movement to think that, that we could worship other gods, but those gods can't be loved. We can worship them for what they do, but there's nothing remotely lovable about those gods. And so we are unique in that we have a God who has done such things for us and loves us, therefore we can love him in return. And here we see in this gospel passage, Jesus has already healed a blind man, remember, on his way to Jerusalem. And this is as he came to the outskirts of Jericho, where he heals this man. And now as he comes into the city, there's a man there who is a tax collector. He's a very wealthy man and a despised man because he's also a Jew. 
His name is Zacchaeus. And crazily enough, his name means pure and innocent. Well, not at the beginning of the story. <laughs> He's definitely not that at all. You get a man who is despised because he is collaborating with Rome. And so the way tax collectors worked is they bid on a territory, right? So if your territory is Jericho, so what do you do? Okay, you determine, the, it's, it's a, not a consumption tax that he's collecting here. It's an income tax, but it's based on income and assets both. And so what he's figuring out is, what is the value of all the stuff in Jericho? And if I figure out what that value is, and then I can say, okay, so the tax rate is X. So that now I'm going to bid on the territory, and I've got to give Rome whatever my bid is. And my income is what I can collect in excess of what I have to pay to Rome. Well, there's competition for these things. And so Zacchaeus has, has won the competitions. And so what he does is, is that he determines the value of things given the, the tax rate, gives the value to Rome, and says, this is what I believe the territory of Jericho is worth. They said, okay. And then he goes out and he inflates the value of those things. And, and you can see and imagine what these, what these tax collectors would look like if they came into your home and began to look then at your, um, at your assets and began to, to value those assets. I can remember reading, if you've seen Christmas Story, if you read the book <clears throat> the, um, that it's based on, then you'd see this same thing. It, the, the narrator, the writer, um, talks about when he was a kid that this same thing would happen in, in his uh, town in Indiana, they'd come in and they would value the stuff. And so that, so the, you've got the guy saying, that's a really nice rug. And, and then the the dad would say, well, yeah, no, 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 see all these holes in it? you know. And so you're bargaining over the value of everything. If you're selling it, you're going to ask one value for it. But if you're having it appraised for tax value, you're going you're gonna to point out all the flaws and the defects. And you're going to talk about, ah, it's an old thing. you know. It's, it's not worth anything, really. And, and so you want to denigrate the value of your possessions, to the tax collector because the tax collector ultimately is the one who who is going to make that decision and, and what your stuff is worth is going to depend is going to make a difference in what he makes and so there's always uh, an incentive to overvalue things and so Zacchaeus is one of these guys right and so he's despised because he it, they, they were notorious people you're not even supposed to be around these people they're they're basically pushed outside of Judaism. But Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming and he's heard something about him. He's the chief tax collector, by the way, and so he oversees the other tax collectors, so he is the worst of the worst. He runs ahead of Jesus because he's so short, he climbs up into a sycamore tree, which is not something wealthy people would do, but Zacchaeus wasn't a guy who would have had a lot of um, cachet about him, let's say, and so he, he, didn't, he, he doesn't care as much because he's already despised, and so he, he does things that are uncharacteristic of wealthy men, and it's because of how he's gotten his money that, that he is this way, and so Jesus sees him as he's passing through the town and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I have, must stay at your house today, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Well, nobody else was pleased about this. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Doesn't he know what he's doing? Why in the, all the people in Jericho that he could have come to see? Why did he go see Zacchaeus? Why did he choose him to honor him by going to his home? So Zacchaeus stands while he's there, while Jesus is there, and says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. Now that's a wonderful story. For Zacchaeus, right? I mean, but it's going to cost him a lot of money. 
He's going to give away half of what he has and give it to the poor. And, and who's going to value that half? So it's, it, Zacchaeus is now is becoming impoverished in a way that the rich young ruler wouldn't do. He's giving away half of what he has and gives to the poor and says, then I'm going to, I'm going to restore fourfold anybody that I've taken anything uh, by fraud. Well, there's two huge benefits here. One is Zacchaeus, because his salvation comes to his house, but the other beneficiaries here, do you know who they are? The people of Jericho. You've suddenly got an honest tax collector. And it's because Jesus went and stayed at his house. We should pray for our leaders in much the same way. We should want our leaders to have deep and abiding relationships with Jesus. We should want our leaders to come face to face with him. And we should pray for our leaders every single day. And this is the best example I can find in all of Scripture for why we should pray for those who are in positions of power over us. Because when Jesus changes their hearts and their lives, we all benefit. And so Jericho, this day, received a blessing that would carry on for a very long time because Jesus chose this man Zacchaeus and went to spend time with him that day. Paul, on the other hand, is now dealing with a problem in Corinth. What's happened is apparently these people who have come in and they, they, they're referred to, by, at least by Paul, we're not sure how they refer to themselves, but we know that it's an exalted way of referring to themselves. Paul calls them the hooper apostoloi in, in Greek, and that means the super apostles. These are, these are above the apostles even, because he's clearly not talking about the original apostles here. And he says, just, just bear with me a little bit about being foolish. I have a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus other than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He says these, you all have been deceived by these people who have come through because they're eloquent, eloquent with words and they're smooth as butter. He said, indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. Paul was an incredibly well-educated man, more so than any of the apostles themselves, frankly because he was trained in all the rabbinic schools, and now he can apply that rabbinic teaching in considering who is Jesus and then showing us how he is our Messiah and how he's the fulfillment of the promises God made through the prophets and all of Scripture. So he's able to open Scripture in a different way. Paul is a rabbi. He said, well, did I commit a sin then by humbling myself before you? I didn't ask you to give me anything. What I gave you, I gave you freely. In fact, other people paid for what you received. The people in Macedonia supplied my need, so I refrained and I will refrain from burdening you in any way. And the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the reasons of a child. And why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. So he says, why am I doing this? And, and I'm doing what I'm doing in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. Such men are false apostles. That's an important thing. It's an important thing to say somebody's a false apostle. If you're preaching a different Christ, if you're preaching a different gospel, it's important for us 
in the church to point that out. And he says, don't worry about this. I'm telling you, I'm not boasting here. What I'm boasting of is I'm trying to present the true gospel to you. I'm trying to make sure that salvation comes to you. That you don't throw it away on some false gospel preached by false apostles. Listen to obey the voice of the Lord. Don't be taken away. No, and that's the important thing, that, that we as Christians have to know the voice of the Lord in order to obey it. We can't separate ourselves from the word of the Lord. If we're not constantly testing the spirits, and we can only do that if we ourselves know the word of God, we can be led astray, as Eve was, because we don't know the word of the Lord. And so the important thing is that salvation, once you've received it, keeping it requires diligence. It requires obedience. And it requires us to be immersed in and love the word of the Lord.